Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Y'all pray with me, Father, great is your faithfulness to us on a day like today, it just makes sense to look back and reflect on your faithfulness. And so, Father, today we don't gather here to celebrate our church or anybody that's been here, but we just, we come and celebrate what you have done in us and through us over the last five years. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, and we're not, uh, we're not interested in being anchored in anybody else other than you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. And happy Sunday. Welcome to Three Creeks Church. Happy birthday, or as the cool kids say it, HBD. HBD That's what they say these days. <laughs> uh, man, it, it does. It's, it's good for the soul to stop for a minute, to pause and reflect and remember and celebrate what God has done. If we're not careful, it just keeps going and going and going and you miss it. And it's good on a day like today just to stop and think about uh, what God has done. And I hope he's done something in your life, whether you've been here for a week or five years. I hope that this is a church that uh, you've either been helped to find or follow God, as, as has been mentioned a couple times. Uh, in the last few weeks, we've been wake, making our way through the book of Ephesians. And if you remember last week, I finished up Ephesians chapter 3, and we talked about the love of God and I gave it my best shot, and uh, I, I explained that, um, you know, my, I've got a great dad who loves me very much, and one of the ways that my dad loves me and encourages me is, if you can believe this, for five years, he's never missed one Three Creeks podcast. He listens to all of them, even the 44-minute ones that you turn on double speed. He listens to them, and he always sends me a text and, and just makes a comment, and I'm, I'm encouraged by it, and this week... He said, a beautiful attempt, son. <laughs> but think about it. it was, that is the most biblically correct compliment I've ever received in my life. Because Paul said, the height and the depth and the length and the width, just when you think you understand how much God loves you, there is more. It surpasses knowledge. And so my dad said, nice try, son. And, uh, and I appreciate that very much. We're going to, I've said this a few times, and I, it's worth saying again, that the first three chapters of Ephesians feel like one book, and it's almost as if there's a line in the sand that is drawn, and then you, you look at chapters four through six to the end, and it's like a different book that Paul wrote. It's almost, he had to have eaten a meal between them, because it's so different, the way that he writes and what he writes about. So before we go to chapter four, I wanted to just take one more minute and try to sear into your brains permanently this incredible love of God, but I'm, I'm not going to say it for you. I brought some friends with me that are going to come up and help me real quick. So could you guys uh, clap for Wiley Grace and Lily Kaufman who are on their way up here? <laughs> Wiley Grace is with April, who is with her, and Josh is right there. They've been, they've joined Three Creeks in the last year. Awesome. Welcome. 
And Wiley Grace actually had a birthday three days ago. So that makes her, and she just turned five, which means that she, when Three Creeks launched, was three days old, youngest person in our church. So if you want to know how old we are, this is how old we are. We are, we are this old. This is Wiley. She's giving me a high five. Now, Wiley has been learning a Bible verse back in Three Creeks Kids, Ephesians 3.18, and I was hoping that maybe Wiley would, sit, would share that with you guys. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, Ephesians 3.18. Wow! High five for you. And she, she wanted to bring Lil... She wanted to bring Lily. The reason Lily's up here is because Wiley Grace said, I need my crew. I need my, my posse of support. So we grabbed him out of the crabs class. Lily, thank you guys for coming. And I want, I want to talk to you guys about something real quick. I just want both of you guys to know, Lily and Wiley Grace, that we, like all these big people in here, we love you and we believe in you and we are going to make Three Creeks Kids even better than it is right now. Do you guys like it back there? You do like it. Are there bounce houses? There are bounce houses. Listen, I was talking to Miss Liz, and we decided that we are going to try to make Three Creeks Kids even better pretty soon. Does that sound okay to you guys? Does that sound okay, sound okay to you guys? <laughs> One more time for these great little girls. High five. Great job. Great job. Thank you, April. Oh, yeah. All right, my turn. Get out of here. Just kidding. <laughs> great job, guys. Great job. <laughs> Uh, did you guys know that we had more kids in Three Creeks Kids in January than any month in the history of our church? Some of you guys are like, yes, because getting our tickets felt like we were in line for a Cedar Point ride the last couple weeks. But we're, I really was talking to Liz, and we're talking about making it better and just making that something that a reason that, that people come to Three Creeks and make it home is investing in the next generation. And so we're really, really thankful for that. But they're back there. And we're in here. Praise God for the breather. We're going to go through Ephesians. But I have a question before I start today, and it is this. How many sets of books are there in the Bible? Like how many are there a, a first and a second? Look at the Old Testament. You've got First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. If you fast forward to the New Testament, you've got First and Second Corinthians, You've got 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Peter, and then the great apostle John didn't stop at two. He has 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. And you might think, if you looked at the first page in your Bible, that's, that the list is complete. That's the list of sets of books, of 1st and 2nds. But what if I told you that tucked into another book of the Bible is another book, another letter to the Ephesians, second Ephesians, if you will. Would you believe me? Because it's true that the book of Ephesians that we've been going through, chapter one, two, and three, it, was not, it wasn't originally a book. It was just a letter written by a man named Paul to a church in a city called Ephesus. Paul had been their pastor. Now Paul's in prison. He hears that things are going pretty good. It encourages him, and so Paul sits down and writes a letter to the Ephesians. We've been going through it. There's another letter to the Ephesians. It isn't its own book. It's tucked into a book. See if you can... Uh, well, actually, the other letter, I should tell you, 
is written directly to the Ephesians church. And I want you to see this week in our series as a, a brief intermission, if you will. There's a seven-verse letter written to the Ephesians in the book of Revelation, which means that Paul didn't write it. The, the great apostle John actually wrote the second letter to the church in Ephesus. See if you can follow me here. Ephesus is the most important city in Asia Minor. It's the greatest harbor city in that area of the world. Four different highways come in to Ephesus. It's the center for business and trade and religion. The Ephesian games, similar to our Olympic games, are always held in Ephesus. It's the cultural intersection of the world. It's New York City. And so Paul knows if we can get a strong, healthy, committed church in Ephesus, a church that understands that Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again to prove that death isn't the end, but that we can have eternal life through Jesus. If he can get the Ephesians church to sink their teeth into that and understand this good news, then it's going to have exponential implications all over Asia Minor. When, um, so Paul, knowing this, goes there, and if you remember in week one, he goes up over there and drops off two heroes in the New Testament, Priscilla and Aquila, and they actually start the church. Another mighty preacher named Apollos comes and helps, and they get this church off the ground. So much so that Paul himself goes, and he is their pastor for three years. Later on, after Paul leaves, guess who else is their pastor? Paul's protege, Timothy, is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. When Timothy goes to visit Paul in prison, guess who he leaves in charge? Another one of the guys that was in Paul's group, Tychicus was their pastor. And then fast forward a few more decades, guess who one of the pastors was at the end of the first century of the church in Ephesus? Jesus's best friend, the great apostle John, when he had to flee Jerusalem, the home base, guess where he went? He went to Ephesus. And he was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. I'm trying to help you understand how important this is and how many heroes in the New Testament were pastors of this one church in Ephesus? When John was there, it became officially illegal to preach the gospel. And so John is arrested and he's put on an island called Patmos, which is off the coast. This is where they put political prisoners and criminals and they just leave them there to die. And the Ephesian church, the Christians in Ephesus are the ones that sent John food and supplies to keep him alive. And it is on the island of Patmos in 94 AD, 40 years after the Ephesians church started. It is on the island of Patmos that John receives a vision from God. And he writes it down and we have it in our Bibles as the book of Revelation it's, it's a vision of the things to come, of the way that the world is going to end. And John wrote it down on the island of Patmos, and we have it. And in this book of Revelation, in this vision, there's a letter to the church in Ephesus. So let's go there. Revelation chapter 2, if you've got a Bible, open it, turn it on. If you don't have one, uh, then we'll throw the verses on the screen. But as always, there's a stack of Bibles right there, and we would love for you to take one on your way out. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. It's only seven verses long, the second letter to the Ephesians. Before we read chapter 2, verse 1, like I always try to do as best as I can, I've got to stop 
and give you a context, especially in Revelation. Don't just go running around Revelation reading whatever verse without a context. It gets pretty wild. Chapter 1, John describes the beginning of this vision. And in chapter 1, he sees his best friend from his 20s and 30s, Jesus Christ, in this vision. And Jesus dictates letters to seven different churches. The first one is to the Ephesians, but then there's six more to all these other cities in Asia Minor. Maybe you've heard of Laodicea or Sardis or Philadelphia. Not that Philadelphia, but for the record, Mike Johnson, yes, that was a hold. It was a holding call. He writes all, these, all seven letters. And actually, if your Bible has black text and red text, you know, like the ink, when Jesus' words are being spoken or written down, it's, it's highlighted in red. And if you'll look at Revelation 2 and 3, it's all red. Because Jesus dictated it and John wrote it down and we have it as the book of Revelation. All right? So this is the first letter of the seven to the church in Ephesus. I'll read it, all seven, and then we'll, we'll chomp back through it. Revelation 2, verse 1 through 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, another word for angel would be messenger or maybe even pastor. So to the leaders of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's Jesus describing himself. These are the words of him. If you were to read Revelation 1, you would see this picture. These are the words of Jesus. I'm saying these to you. And then Jesus is going to commend them, and then he's going to condemn them, and then he's going to offer a promise at the end. Watch this. Verse 2 and 3. Jesus says, I know your deeds, Ephesians, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet this I hold against you, Ephesians. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and it remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he closes, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There you have it, 2 Ephesians, a little shorter than the first one. I, I don't know if I've ever explained in our church the difference between a descriptive passage and a prescriptive passage in the Bible. Maybe you know what that means, but just in case you don't, this is a perfect time to explain it to you. It's important if you're going to try to read the Bible to understand the difference. A descriptive passage in the Bible describes something that already happened, but a prescriptive passage in the Bible details something that should happen. Put, sim put even simpler, I hope, is what the Bible is saying 
describing something that already happened or is it prescribing something that should happen now for us today? And it's important because if you get this wrong, watch out. Take David and Goliath, for example, right? Goliath blasphemes against God and he mocks the followers of God. And David takes a slingshot and some rocks and he knocks Goliath out and pulls Goliath's sword out of his sheath and cuts Goliath's head off. This is a descriptive passage of the Bible, right? It's something that happened. Now, because it's descriptive, there's something that we can learn. You can pull out that we should trust God in all situations and, and, and not have as much fear as we have at times as Christians. But if it was prescriptive, if we've got that wrong, then we've got to be handing out slingshots and swords and saying, hey, if you encounter someone who mocks the name of God, then hey, the Bible said. A, a much less extreme version of a misinterpretation might be in the book of Acts when the church starts. When the first churches started getting together, they always met in houses. And if you misinterpret that, you say, well, then we should be meeting in houses only. They did it. We should do it. Shouldn't meet in schools. Shouldn't meet in buildings. Let's just go houses only. And while that is fine, and we actually do that in some way, shape, or form through community groups, the Bible nowhere says that we should exclusively meet in houses because that's a descriptive passage in the Bible. But there are prescriptive passages in the Bible when it says to love your neighbor, when it says to show hospitality to one another, when it says to forgive as the Lord forgave you, when it, when it gives these, these commands to obey the Lord in the Bible, a lot of them, especially in the New Testament, they're prescriptive. They're for us. They were for them, but they're also for us. You get what I'm saying? And, and friends, listen, the, the reason why I share that is because misinterpretations of those things cause giant church splits. They're usually what cause the church splits. And, and to be fair, there are giants in the faith that disagree on which ones are which sometimes. Questions like, how often should we take communion? Questions like, can we speak in tongues? Can we speak in a prayer language now? Questions like, can a woman preach on a Sunday morning in a church? These issues, because some people see them as descriptive and some people see them as prescriptive, have, have divided people. And so it's important to understand that there are two categories. And, and we can get into some of those other things at another time, but I, 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 I share that with you to set up this question. Do you think that this a letter written to the Ephesians in 94 AD by John on the island of Patmos, it is in the Bible, it is God's word, do you think it's descriptive or prescriptive? Is every verse for us or was it really more for them? Do you get what I'm saying? I would propose that this letter is descriptive, that it was for them at that time, but we would be very wise. We would be very wise to read this and say, Lord, we know that you love to speak to us through your word. What did you tell them that you want us to hear today too? Lord, we are listening. We want to be obedient. And we know that this was for them, but Lord, what is in it for us? God, would you by your spirit illuminate what you want us to learn from this passage, this letter in the Bible? First, I don't know if you noticed in verse 2 and 3, 
Jesus commends them. He lifts them up. And then in verses 4 and 5, he brings something up that he wants them to, to realize. And Jesus challenges them even to repent for this issue that's in their church. And then he ends it with the promise, a promise that I would propose is descriptive, or excuse me, prescriptive, one that you and I can hold on to as well. So let's look at verse 2 and 3 again, and let's see Jesus lift them up. The first thing he says is, Ephesians, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, Ephesians. You have endured hardship, Ephesians, for my name, and you have not grown weary. So for 40 years, the Ephesians church stayed doctrinally strong. They didn't give up. They endured hardship. People made fun of them, and they stood their ground. And you should know this about the church in Ephesus, or excuse me, the city of Ephesus. It is the bottom of the birdcage morally. It is said that the morals of the Ephesians people were lower than the morals of animals. It is the center of debauchery and drunkenness and sexual perversion that I cannot go into detail on a, on a, in a church. It's too uncomfortable. It was civilization at its lowest, most disgusting point. And in the middle of this, the Ephesians stood strong. They endured hardship. They were still holding on. They were still meeting together. They persevered. People tried to sneak in. False teachers lead them astray. Jesus didn't really do that. It's old wives' tales. It's not true. And the Ephesians said, no, it is. He's changed our lives. We're sticking to it. And in verse 6, if you look a little further, it says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There's not a lot about what that is, but apparently it was a false teacher, some other way of thinking, trying to lead people away from Jesus. And Ephesians said, no, we're not doing it. And Jesus said, good job. You have endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. And Three Creeks, while this is, dis while this is descriptive of them, it is not too, uh, too far off from how I, as the pastor who's gotten to be here for five years, would commend you. So many of the things, I would say the same thing. You too have been hard workers and you have persevered. You have endured hardship. I have gone back and watched myself on YouTube. You endured hardship, <laughs> perseverance through that time. We've had 205 services as a church family. And there are people in this room that have showed up at 6.30 in the morning to set up for almost all of them. They've persevered, hard work, so that somebody else can come in here. We have people sometimes that come and serve in the morning. They can't be here at 10, but they'll come at 6.30 and they'll serve to set up for us. And you come and you go and you don't even think about it. And they come and they tear down after you're gone. There are people that for five years, every three weeks they have served in Three Creeks Kids. They have persevered. They have endured hardship. Yes. Yes. And I would commend you. When I tell people who planted churches around when I did, and I tell them the buy-in, the number of people that serve on teams, that serve each other, they ask me to confirm it because they're so surprised at the hard work and the perseverance 
And, and, and the great news is this, is if I started singling people out and said names, they wouldn't like it because they're not doing it for their namesake. They're doing it for Jesus's namesake. And, and not many people have really grown all that weary in doing it. There are some people I could name right now. They're, they're just, they're, they, they just continue to serve and work and persevere. And so Three Creeks as a whole, I just got to tell you that I see the same things in you. Uh, our elders were even praying this week with one another. And Tyler Gorham, who's one of our elders, just prayed and said, you said something like, man, if, if this is the healthiest our church ever is, that would be okay because it just feels like we've got so much buy-in from humble leaders who have worked hard and persevered and endured hardship and we're in a good spot. And so I just want to commend you as your pastor that, that you've worked hard and that you have persevered. But Jesus isn't done. He's got something to bring up. He's got to be honest because he is God. So he says, verse 4, Yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You have forsaken the love you had at first, Ephesians couple different ideas as to what that love was. The more I studied, the more I became unsure, if I'm being honest about exactly it. But as Christians, we're told to love God and love others. And so it begs the question, did they lose their love for God or did they lose their love for other people? And I would say that both of those things are so intertwined that it sounds like they lost love for both. You can't love God and not love people. It doesn't make any sense. And you can't really love people, at least maintain it, without a deep love for God and an appreciation of his love for you. That's the fuel behind loving people. So apparently the fire of love in the Ephesians' hearts for God and others has just has waned a little bit. And they have forsaken that. Now remember, once again, this is descriptive. This is them doesn't necessarily mean that we too have done that, but, but this is the true point that I can draw from this letter that Jesus wrote to the Ephesians. The true thing about this that we should consider is this. People drift. When feelings fade, there's a reason why when we say, ah, it's in the honeymoon period, the honeymoon phase, Makes sense to you because at first a fire can burn hot and if you don't put more logs on it over time, the fire goes out. In their church, they didn't lose their faith or their theology. They stood strong, but apparently they lost their love for God. And so it does, it would be wise for us to consider what did we love at first? How did we want to express our love for God and people? And, and just be honest and go, have we drifted at all? And then ask the question, if we have, how do we get it back? How do we get the fire hot again? Well, the way that you get a fire hot again is that you put more logs on the fire. Put a little lighter fluid on there. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus actually tells them. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. Usually, when I see an area of my life that I need to kind like, of change and go back and do what I did at first, I just do that without the repenting part. The repenting part isn't my favorite part. 
But Jesus says, repent, turn from it, confess it, apologize it, admit you were wrong, admit you need help, and then go back and do the things you did at first. But it starts first with repentance, an honest acknowledgement. Because if we just start going back and just do the things we did at first, give a rah-rah speech, let's do that instead, well, then that quickly works itself into a works-based salvation where we earn God's love back, and that's just not how it goes. Repentance, if we repent, it means that all of our behavior changes are rooted in a grace-based salvation that we know that, that underneath the change is the forgiveness of God, that he loves us anyways, that we can go to him when we mess up. And so Jesus says, repent and do the things you did at first. So we would be wise to consider the question, have we drifted? And perhaps we need to repent and do the things we did at first. Our vision, which has been mentioned, I think six or seven times so far, is to help people find and follow God. It's been our vision since day one, and I'm feeling sentimental, so I'd like to revisit it a little bit and explain it. To help people to find and follow God. Break that into two different things. The first thing we wanted to do was to help people find God. There are people that we love that don't know who God is. People in our families who don't know who God is. We came here to Gehenna because there's 120,000 people within five miles of this school that don't know who God is. And we came here to help them find God, to discover the love of God and the salvation in the person of Jesus. We came here to help people find him. But we also came to help people follow God. So, so maybe the simplest way to put it is that if you have made a decision to follow Jesus and you would consider yourself a Christian, then we want our church to be a place where you can grow deep roots, where you can learn deep things about God, about theology, and that that would actually spur you on to live a holy life of obedience to the Bible and to God. We want that to happen too. Every healthy church does both of those things. And unhealthy churches do one or the other. Think about that for a second unhealthy churches do one or the other really well, but a healthy church does both. We haven't aced it, but our vision hasn't changed. That's always going to be our target. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, first day, thousandth day in church, we want you to find or follow God. That's been our vision. And so it, it warrants the question on a day like today, have we drifted at all from that? How are we doing is the fire hot about those two things? As the pastor of this church, as I've prayed and reflected on recent months, year, year four and five maybe, here's my take. I think, I think we've gotten a lot better at helping people follow God. I think early on, I'm not sure we were very good at that. I think we've gotten a lot better at helping people follow God. And I think we used to be pretty good at helping people find God. And I'm not trying to be mean, because this is a birthday party. But I am trying to be honest. I think we've drifted from one of our first loves, that being helping people find God. About a year into our church... We were crammed into a gymnasium at Goshen Lane Elementary School, and we turned on the lights, and I said, raise your hand if you are here because you found us on the internet. And two people raised their hands, Craig and Gretchen Scheimer, God bless them, 
And they said, we found you on Google. <laughs> okay, thanks. And then I said, now raise your hand if somebody invited you here. And every other hand in the room went up. And I haven't done the hand raise thing recently, but I do talk to people in the hallway and I meet them just about every week. And I say, how'd you end up here? I'm just curious. What brought you here? And a lot of them say Google. And while that is thrilling when it comes to our SEO prowess, <laughs> on the whole, if I'm just being honest with you, that is a little bit disappointing. I think it, I think it just is a, a small... It's a result, it's an example of the fact that I think that we've drifted. And I've, got to be, I've just got to be even more honest with you. And this is the part of the thing that I didn't really want to share. I think, I'm just being honest, I think that starts with me. Not as a pastor, as a person. As a Christian person. I think that the drifting... I've been a part of it. My original idea in concluding this message was to roll a big black glass board out here and to take a marker and to write the name of somebody on here who I love, who doesn't know God, who I want to bring to this church to help them find and follow God. And then I was going to hand out markers and everybody was going to come up and write a name. And I couldn't get past it because if I'm just being honest with you, I couldn't come up with a name. And it wasn't that I couldn't come up with a name of any person I could think of that I want to come to our church. It's just that I'm so, I, uh, I had lost faith that they would accept my invitation. I already invited them once, or they probably wouldn't come. And I don't want to be the guy that just is annoying, who won't let it go, who's trying to push an agenda. And so I scrapped that part of the message because I didn't, I didn't know who to write. And, I, and as a person, I try to put myself in situations where I'm interacting with people who don't believe what I believe. I'm not trying to cocoon myself, but if I'm just being honest, I'm a lot more comfortable with you. I am more comfortable on Sunday nights, or excuse me, Sunday mornings and Monday nights in my community group then in other circles, I'm just being honest. And it is so much easier for me to stand up here and say, you guys go do this, and I'll just kind of not. And as I was writing this message, I just thought it starts not with Pastor Joel, but with Christian person Joel. Just the other day, I asked Cooper, my six-year-old daughter, she's in kindergarten. I said, Coops, do you ever tell people at your school about Jesus? And she said, well, yeah, of course. And I said, I was like, okay, that's fine. Next morning at breakfast, she's about to go to school. I said, Coops, do you think you're going to tell anybody about Jesus today? And she said, probably. And then she said, dad, what do you think about this idea? What if I write down everybody's name in my class and then when I tell them about Jesus, I'll just check it off next to their name. And guess what I thought? But Coops, you might get in trouble. The teacher might stop you. You might lose a friend. 
don't know if you're allowed to do that. One half of me was thrilled and proud, but another half of me was, was fearful, and I made excuses for her. She's got no shame. It's a no-brainer. Of course, Dad. And, and then I can go, well, she's six. What does she know? And I go, that's why Jesus said that you got to have the faith of a child. I'm a 36-year-old pastor, and I'm just telling you that I want to be like my six-year-old daughter. Who is, who is on fire, who puts some logs on the fire to help people that I love come to find God. And I'm, I'm asking you as a church family to consider renewing that commitment to help people find God and to stop, along with me, relying on Facebook marketing ads to get people to come here. But to, to really consider, God, have I drifted in this? Is there anybody that you want me to reach out to? God could be doing something in, in that person's life. The person that you already invited four times, they said no. God could be doing something in their life and they just need one more ask and they say, thank you for asking me. Sorry, I've been dragging my feet. Yeah, I should do that. Who knows what God wants to do? But it's gonna require some obedience on our part. I'm just being honest. And then verse 7, the prescriptive promise. It's true for the Ephesians in 94 AD, and it's true for Three Creeks in 2023 AD. Look what Jesus said. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus makes a promise to the one who is victorious. Most Bible translations, it's the same word in the original language. It's translated into the word overcome. To those who overcome, to those who put their faith in Jesus and take it to the end, which is a reference to 1 John 5, 4, another book that John wrote down. And it says this, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So Jesus is saying to the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes, to the one who puts their faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, as the forgiver of our sins, as the one who rose again, that is the person who overcomes. And Jesus makes a promise and he says, Heaven is coming. Heaven is coming. There is a palace and there's a room reserved for you. It's being made up for you. There is a table. There is a feast. Big old turkey legs, mashed potatoes, and you know it, buffalo chicken dip. There, there's a feast in heaven waiting for those who overcome. And I was, uh, I was thinking this morning, I just thought, man, what God, what, what image do you want us to leave this service with in our minds? And, and this is what I feel like God wanted me to share with you. I just, I, I don't know if it's going to happen like this, really, but, you know, faith of a child again, see if you can go with me. I just imagine the pearly gates of heaven. I believe heaven's a real place. The Bible's pretty clear about that. I imagine the pearly gates of heaven. And I, I don't know, I don't know how many angels are going to be there cheering us in. But I imagine just two of them sitting there, they're at a table, and there's kind of a line, we walk up, and uh, 
you know, the angels keep looking at each other like, man, there are a lot of people from east part of Columbus. There's just a lot of them. And they start to say, how'd you end up here? And every person, person after person says, man, those people at Three Creeks would not give up. They were relentless in their love for me, in their pursuit of me, in their kindness to me, in their generosity to me. They just would not stop. And something clicked for me. And I realized that Jesus really is the Son of God. So that's why I'm here. And if you and I want that story to be true, it doesn't start with the person sitting next to you. It starts with the person, it starts with you, it starts with me. And so I'm just asking you as a church family that in year six, that we would have a renewed commitment, that we would first repent, that we would repent and just acknowledge it, confess it, ask for God's forgiveness. And then let's go back and do the things we did at first and tell people how much God loves them. Will you guys pray with me? Father, I do repent. I want to be like Cooper. I just admit that I have made so many excuses and I've been so fearful. I've been in reputation protection mode. And I am sorry. Father, would you give me the courage to get out of this thing? you bring to mind people that you love, that I love, that aren't here, that don't know how much you love them, God. Father, for the person in the room today who's here for the first time, just checking things out, Lord, would you flood their hearts with your love and your grace? Would you show them how much you love them and that there's a room for them and a seat at the table for them in heaven? Father, we praise you for five years and we're really excited about the next five years and we're going to try to be obedient through it all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.